Good morning and welcome to The Present, where everything happens. I'm your host, Lisa Widmark, and The Present is about mindfulness, which is paying attention to the present moment on purpose and without judgment. Together, I hope we can be a little more mindful every day. The present is the only place where you can affect change. On each show, I'll share a part of mindfulness, what it means and how it can help you, and I'll give you a practice that you can start today. If you get to give it a try, I'd love it if you let me know how it works for you. Then I will share a conversation with someone from the mindfulness community, many of whom are right here in Reno. Today's topic is mindful eating. Mindful eating has to do with paying attention to the present moment on purpose. Hmm, it is just like mindfulness. Mindful eating has to do with paying attention to what you're eating and to your food. And the things about your food, maybe where it came from, how it got to you. Have you ever been watching a movie and eaten an entire bag of chips and then realized, "Mm, I didn't taste any of those or enjoy them or even notice eating them and yet the bag is empty? And you're wondering if your dog snuck over and ate your bag of chips. Or maybe you ask, maybe uh, this happens all the time. This is mindless eating. Or how about when you start out mindfully eating and then lose it? You're eating a wonderful dinner and the first bite is delicious and you notice the aromas and the taste and the texture. And then before you know it, you're finished. And you savor that last bite because there aren't any more. But all the bites in between seem to have slipped by. Mindful, mindless eating often happens when we're bored or stressed or anxious or in a hurry. Sometimes when we're happy. But it often involves eating when you're not actually hungry. It's also when you're eating when you're doing something else. Or when you're eating out of habit. It's lunchtime and so I better eat something. And you don't really check in to see if you're hungry. Maybe today is a day when you skip lunch. But for most of us, that doesn't happen. It's lunchtime and so I'm going to eat what I brought for lunch. Being fully present and eating mindfully is a treat. Eating is one of the most pleasurable activities that we get to do multiple times a day. It nourishes us physically and mentally, and it's something that we should probably pay a little closer attention to. If you do it, even once, it may change how you eat and your relationship with food. If you're thinking, eh, my diet is fine and I eat slow enough, or I eat... Uh, in a way that makes me comfortable. Give it a try anyway, because trying even part of it will give you some insight into the way you relate to food. It involves being present when you eat. And so you're going to have to do one main thing, which is slow down. To do this, let's start by checking in with your body, because it has all the information. So ask, how hungry am I? Each time you eat, ask yourself, am I hungry? What do I need and what do I want? And it's not that you only get the things that you need. You can certainly have all the things that you want. I'm just suggesting that you take a moment to notice. Am I actually hungry? What do I need right now? And what do I want? Maybe you want a cookie. And that is fine. Bring, then, bring all of your senses to the table. And I say to the table because sitting down and giving your meal your attention um, is better than if you're grabbing something while you're driving or while you're walking. Then look at your food. Notice the colors. Inhale the aroma. Has your food been artistically plated? Where did it come from? How did it get to you? There are plants, animals, 
farmers, truckers, grocery store workers, cooks, all of these people and things may have been involved in bringing this food to you. So thinking about where it came from is part of being more mindful about eating. Then experience each bite from start to finish. To do this, take a bite, then set down your fork. Chew. Notice the texture, the sound that your food makes, the taste and the feel in your mouth. See if you can describe that taste to someone else. So, ooh, I can taste these spices or these flavors in here. Um, how does your food smell? Enjoy the act of eating. Then swallow. After you have swallowed, then you get to pick up your fork for the next bite. So you can see where this is a great deal slower than the way most people normally eat. Avoid multitasking while you eat. So you're just going to eat. You're not watching television. You're not scrolling on your phone. You're not reading. You're not talking. You're not walking. You are just eating. Okay? And if that's the only thing you do, then you're already eating way more mindfully. Overeating doesn't make you feel any better, especially afterwards. Our country has very large meals, especially if you're doing anything that involves supersizing. And so checking in with your body about how much you want to eat instead of this is how big the plate is um, and clearing our plates uh, is one way to eat more mindfully. So the amount of food that fits in your two cupped hands is considered a meal. And it's probably less than most of us have, um, especially for our big meal of the day. So I would like to suggest that you start with this much food. And then after you eat this much, wait five minutes and see if you want some more. So make a conscious decision of it where you feel in charge of how much you're eating without guilt and without judgment. And we often eat more without any thought and without checking in with our bodies. So if you've finished what is considered a meal and then you wait... And then you ask your, ask yourself, ask your body, hmm, am I still hungry? If you are, have some more and try and mindfully eat another portion. But it's about, it's not about guilt and it's not about um, trying to control things that, uh, that your body isn't telling you. It's just being, I suppose, true to what your body is telling you. You worked out really hard today, and your body is asking for more calories. That's fine. But it's about approaching food with flexibility and curiosity instead of rules and judgment. Taking pauses during your meal just to notice if you're rushing or if you're still eating mindfully is a great idea. If you're if you notice that you're not, or you notice that you're going too quickly, just set down your fork, take a breath, and start again. So you don't need to go through this whole process every time, because who the heck has time for that? But becoming more, becoming more mindful when you eat is so beneficial to the amount that you eat and how and your enjoyment of eating. So it's not about perfection at all. It's about building awareness over time. If all you do is ask yourself, how does this taste, then you're already eating more mindfully. So before we get to our practice for today, let's listen to I Want All My Friends to Be Happy by Steve Poltz off his 2016 album called Folk Singer. And Steve is out of Nashville, Tennessee currently. He is a terrific singer, songwriter, guitarist. 
and I think an amazing storyteller even beyond all of his other talents. So here is I Want All My Friends to Be Happy.
from above I want all my friends to be happy. Yay, that was Steve Poltz with I Want All My Friends to Be Happy. And welcome back to the present. It is where everything happens. I'm your host, Lisa Widmark, and this is KWNK LP 97.7 FM, listener-supported radio in Reno, Nevada. This is the practice segment of the show, something that you can take away from today's show. Give it a try today. Um, And if you can't do it right now, you can go to kwnkradio.org and find the archive of today's show. So we talked about uh, if you've grabbed a bag of chips and eaten the entire thing without even noticing. Uh, So... I wanted to read you an excerpt from an article by Jan Chosen Bays about eating chips. And it points out some things about mindful eating, and I, I just like the way she wrote it. So there's someone that she's writing about who decides to treat herself to a chip party. You know, mindful eating definitely gives us permission to play with our food. She takes... 20 chips out of the bag and arranges them on a plate. She looks at their color and their shape. She eats one chip, savoring its flavor, pauses, and then eats another. There is no judgment, no right or wrong. She is simply seeing the shades of tan and brown on each curved surface, tasting the tang of the salt hearing the crunch of each bite, feeling the crisp texture melt into softness. She ponders how these chips arrived on her plate, aware of the sun, the soil, the rain, the potato farmer, the workers at the chip factory, the delivery truck driver, the grocer who stocked the shelves and sold her the chips. And then she has another. So that was something that you probably don't think of when you're munching a bag of chips with your sandwich from Subway. It is getting a little more into the joy of eating, and eating is a joyful thing. We do it three, four, five, six times a day, and most of us miss that joy in it. But this is mindful eating, and I hope that you'll play with that a little bit. Um, There is another mindful eating thing that I just want to give you a link to if you go on YouTube and check out the Raisin Meditation. It is about a 12-minute video during which you will eat two raisins, but you won't forget it. And it, um, I want to say if you just do the Raisin Meditation... It gives you some insights into what mindful eating is all about. Um, you're certainly not going to do this all the time, but but those times when you really have to rush through your food, having done the, the raisin meditation gives you a feel for what you're missing out on when you feel like you need to just scarf something down so you can continue with your day. Um, We are going to move right into our interview segment. And um, before we do that, I want to play another song that is also by Steve Poltz. But uh, he wrote this song with Jewel. And I believe at the time, um, well, I believe at the time they were madly in love. And it is a... So if you listen carefully, it's a super sad song, but it's a beautiful song uh, by Jewel and Steve Poltz 
called You Were Meant For Me. I hear the clock at 6 a.m. I feel so far from where I've been. I got my eggs and my pancakes too. Got the maple syrup, everything but you. I break the yolks and make a smiley face. I kinda like it in my brand new place. I wipe the spots up over me, don't leave the keys in the door. I never put wet towels on the floor anymore, cause dreams last for so Picked up the paper, it was more bad news More hearts being broken, more people being used Put on my coat in the pouring rain I saw a movie, it just wasn't the same Cause it was happy or I was sad And it made me miss you Oh, so bad For me, by Steve Poltz and Jewel, and you are listening to The Present, where everything happens on KWNK LP 97.7 FM in Reno, Nevada. I'm your host, Lisa Widmark, and my guest today is Dave Potter, creator of Palouse Mindfulness. Good morning, Dave, and welcome to The Present. It's where everything happens. My guest today is Dave Potter, creator of Palouse Mindfulness, um, a complete mindfulness-based stress reduction course that's designed for people who are not able to take a live course or for whatever reason um, financially, logistically can't make it to something in person. Palouse also offers online meetings and a wealth of resources that are available to everyone. Palouse Mindfulness has over 6,600 graduates in over 100 countries. And Dave is a certified MBSR instructor who studied at the University of Massachusetts Medical School, where John Kabat-Zinn 
started the whole concept of mindfulness-based stress reduction and taught courses in person for over a decade. He is also a retired psychotherapist, which I just recently found out. So good morning, Dave, and welcome to the present. Thank you. Good morning. I want to know um, a million things from you. (laughs) So let's start with, um, well, I'd like to start with your um, practice prior to getting into the mindfulness movement. So you were a therapist. Mm -hmm. And where was that happening? Yeah, here in in Moscow, Idaho, where my practice was. Uh, And... uh, and I had I had been a long-term meditator before I found MBSR uh, and uh, before I started practicing. I started practicing late in life. I went back to school to get a master's degree in counseling at age 51. Um, and fortunately, counseling is a field where gray hair helps. So, uh, so even though I was the oldest in the cohort, I, I just found it very, very interesting and useful. And I had a, a colleague of mine who was teaching MBSR. Uh, and... Uh, she wanted it to see if I might find it valuable for some of my clients. And I'd already known John Kabat-Zinn's work. Amazingly enough, I didn't realize how, how deep it was. I just thought there was, you know, I'd read his books, you know, wherever you go, there you, there you are. And uh, which, by the way, he thinks he misnamed. He says it should have been wherever you go, here you are, because you're not ever there. You're always here. Ah. <laughs> and, and I was struck after taking her course, I was struck uh, not with anything that I learned about meditation that I had never encountered before, but the way in which he presented the, the, the practice, which was very accessible. It wasn't esoteric. It wasn't woo-woo. Uh, it was very scientific. And I thought, well, this is something that's really, really teachable and accessible. Uh, and so I began uh, teaching it as a uh, as the eight-week course that is in person here in town and, and uh and mindfulness became a really major component of my work with clients. I never took them through the, uh, it was rare that I even recommended to a client that they should do the MBSR training. Occasionally I would, but uh, but mindfulness was always a key part of my work with, with clients. So when I work with, with clients and I do uh, performance psychology, I often include parts of mindfulness, well, I always include parts of mindfulness, and then I will sometimes refer them to specific meditations, often Mm -hmm. yours from online, um, just if they're having a lot of trouble with anxiety, I will have them do a specific meditation that's going to, well, help them with that, but also get them to just be aware of, of what their responsibility is or what their level of control is as far as, or their choices, as far as uh, having an effect on how anxious they are all the time. Because people will get, you know, I'm an anxious person, and so I'm going to be anxious all the time. And and then things that happen are going to make me more anxious. And um, maybe uh, talk a little bit about how that, how that helped your, your clients. Yeah, it was, you know, it, the word meditation sometimes would never come up with with a client, uh, but my work with them would always have a, a mindfulness component in this sense. You know, when I, uh, sometimes people come into uh, therapy with the idea that it's about, about thinking, you know, about working things out psychologically and reframing things mentally. Uh, and uh, in the very first session, we would, uh, we would uh, have them recognize that that their body was involved in almost everything that's every decision that they make, even if they don't know. Recording it. in progress. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I will grab that. It's just that I hit uh, record and then it asked I, me I to click that, another yeah. button. <laughs> I've been using Zoom for two years. And it's, <laughs> and still, I, still stuff still goes wrong. <laughs> that, yeah, you get to do like that. I just did a meeting yesterday and i forgot to record the entire meeting oh my goodness with our with our hosts so it was most of them were there so it wasn't a big deal so anyway with the client uh i would in the very first session 
I would say, you know, your, your body is involved in every decision you make, whether you really consciously realize or not. So for instance, if I were to ask you, uh, what if someone were to suggest to you, let's go out to eat, let's go to this restaurant, and, and it was one you hated, you wouldn't have to go through a mental checklist. You just know it. You know it bodily. We go, oh, not there. Or if it was one you really loved, you'd know it to be a visceral sensation. And since so your body's engaged almost all the time, we just don't pay attention to it. And part of our work is is taking that into account, letting that be an ally of ours. And I would actually take them through a, a quick exercise, not really um, saying now we're going to do a meditation, but I'd say you're, you're sitting there, and your listeners could do this as well as I, as I described, as you're sitting there. And as you're sitting there, you may be able to sense how your feet are making contact with the floor right now. And sometimes I could see by the way they were responding, they weren't checking in with their feet at all. They're waiting for me to say something next. I said, no, seriously, how how do you experience your feet right now? And how do you sense them? You know, you may be feeling pressure or fullness or warmth, moistness or or uh, something or throbbing, or maybe even not even knowing just what you're feeling, but your attention is there. Oh, yeah, I can kind of sense that. And you might be able to sense how it is to be sitting in the chair right now or on the couch, you know, where you're making contact with the couch actual physical sensation uh, or how your arms are resting in your lap or uh, on your side. And, uh, and, and I would guide them through these, uh, this contact with their body. Uh, and, and usually at the end of that, I would ask them how, uh, how things felt for them right then. Cause often that's kind of relaxing to kind of settle into their body. Um, Sometimes I'd share a, a, a question that one of my clients asked once. They asked, to do, do, do I use any uh, biofeedback equipment? Do I use biofeedback? And my answer always said before that had been no. Then when this one person asked, I realized, well, yes, we do use biofeedback. Right? And we use the most sensitive instrument in the universe, and that's your body. Because your body... Whether you're consciously aware of it, your body really knows. Has there's a lot of wisdom in your body, we just don't pay much attention to it. Um, and so, uh, almost immediately, I introduced them to this idea of being having a sense of what's happening in a bodily sense and bring awareness. And that's really, really is uh, is mindfulness. So, in the MBSR course, the body scan is way at the beginning. Yeah, and. What you just said um, really explains that to me because I always felt like for a lot of people, especially if they have trauma, that that body scan is one of the most difficult things that they learn to do or one of the most uncomfortable things or a lot of people reported they fall asleep. But really it's it's a part of the basis of the entire thing that your body is there giving you all the information that you need. And let's just start by checking in with it, paying attention to it, getting in touch with, with what it's telling you. Yeah. And that being said, uh, there's, it's, uh, one has had a significant trauma history. The body scan actually is not a good place to start. Um, if you do a live, when I was doing live classes, uh, we'd have in the very, very first session, we'd have them laying on the floor, eyes closed, uh, and sensing in the body. And if you're a trauma survivor, that is the worst you could possibly be in. In a room full of strangers with your eye closed and eyes closed and your arms by your side, it's a very vulnerable position. So people who are uh, who know they're dealing with people with a trauma history uh, typically don't start with uh, with a body scan for that reason. It might be better to start with something like yoga, where there's some movement involved, and not such an, in such a vulnerable position. Um, and in doing the online course, because it's structured around MBSR, which does start with the body scan, uh, we have a disclaimer pretty early on in the course that says that if if during any of the practices you're feeling uh, very uncomfortable, uh, here's uh, pay attention to that and and particular way and I have them read something about about how to notice because any meditation practice there's going to be difficult things that, that can come up 
but I wanted to give them some guidance about when it's something to worry about and something to, to change the course of their practice about or not. Um, and was uh, so something difficult may come up and you're doing a practice. And while you're experiencing it, maybe uh, uncomfortable. Uh, but at the end of the practice, typically there's some release or some relief, or they're just it, it feel you feel okay, or even maybe even better than when you started during the meditation. And I say if that doesn't happen, if you end a meditation, you're still anxious, or more anxious, or even afraid of going back into into doing that, then that's a time to change the practice in some way. And so I give a little bit of guidance about that. And there are alternatives so that people can get through the program regardless of where they're starting. Absolutely. Yeah. You don't have to start with a body scan and you can, there are other practices to substitute. Or it's also a mindfulness practice to notice when you are getting really activated and to give them a little bit of guidance about that to time when uh, you may want, if your eyes have been closed, to open them up, to take in your, your surroundings. And if you have a, a pet nearby, to have them, you know, pet them or pay attention to, to them uh, to, uh, to ground them a little bit before they, they might continue. So, be responsive to their own experience. I can't, it's not probably accurate to say anybody's in control of their experience, uh, but we can be responsive to it. Well, and that, that just that noticing of what their body's telling them and respecting that, that yeah. my body's telling me that I'm starting to get uncomfortable here. Mm-hmm. But Dave said to keep going. No, that's not how it is. <laughs> that, yeah, exactly. That I'm starting to get anxious here. And so I'm going to notice that, feel where it is, back off, do something else. Uh, and... And that's really how how I have anyway. People work through those things, right? And sometimes, if they've got enough resource, they can uh, they can be directed to stay with it. But in a particular way, it's not a, a teeth gritting, jaw clenching staying with it. It's a here's something that's coming up, paying attention to it, and and seeing if they can uh, extend a, a gentle hand to it. Now, this is what I'm experiencing now. The same way you would if you. If you have a, a, a an infant that's crying, you don't say to shake the infant and say stop it or ignore it. What do you do? You pick them up, right? You just pick them up and just hold them. That's all you need to do. Even if you don't know exactly what it is they're they're upset about, just hold is can be enough. And the same with our experience. That may be it may be the key part of what the mindfulness practice is about is learning. When, how when something difficult comes up, how you can be with it in a way that isn't. Typically, people have two ways of dealing with a difficult experience. One is to push it away, try to pretend it's not happening or distract themselves with eating or doing something else. Or they get completely subsumed by it, and overwhelmed by it, and start to panic with, within it because it, that's their entire world at that moment. And there's a third way, which is to recognize that it's there, to 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 feel it in its intensity, but to do it with a, a gentle hand. And it sounds kind of contradictory. Uh, and sometimes I tell people that might come in thinking that mindfulness and meditation is about always being able to achieve a, a peaceful place, a place of, of just calm and comfort and everything's going to be okay. And once you get really good at it, there'll no, no, be no bumps in the road. Well, that, of course, is not very, very realistic. And so it, it, nobody, not even the most experienced practitioners, uh, even the, the meditation gurus who sometimes seem it, they're always calm and collected, uh, nobody's that way. Uh, everybody has things come up. Uh, sometimes say that the course isn't about getting to a peaceful place where you're going to stay, because that's not realistic. Um, and that's not possible. But what is possible, and it's something you can learn over time, possible to be at peace with not sounds kind of contradictory uh, and it doesn't make sense until you've experienced that that you can have some anxiety come up but that's in a context of um, of gentleness and of 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 a broader context in a way you're bigger than what that what that feeling is that 
whatever comes up, you have these tools and this awareness to be able to analyze maybe a little and respond or at least say, hmm, that's happening. A, a little curiosity about rather than, oh, my God. So th- my favorite part about it is is that drama, melodrama, is eliminated. <laughs> that, that, Dave, I, I love you. And uh, that I, in the three years that I've been doing this, I think I, I took the course right at the beginning of the pandemic. And that I have been upset uh, none in the last three years. That that it's it's miraculous. It is calming. It is a happy place. It's not like um, negative things haven't happened because mm-hmm. they happen all the time. But I can look at them in a different way. I can respond to them in a different way, and I just feel so much more capable and calm. Uh, because of the things that I learned in the MBSR course. This is Lisa Widmark, and you're listening to The Present, Where Everything Happens. My guest today is Dave Potter of Palouse Mindfulness. And I love that you you use the word curiosity, being curious, um, because if you can be curious about your experience, curious means you don't know yet, right? It means you're exploring, that you haven't you haven't made a final determination about what it is. You're you're investigating a little bit. And not in analytic way, but in a in kind of whole body sense of what's of what's happening. Uh, and and curious always also means that there's um, there's a capacity in you to 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 take in whatever uh, whatever might happen. And I know, although you've you've learned some things that are helpful when in difficult times, at those moments it probably still feels difficult. Right. Yes. It's just you get yeah. through that. No, there in were a difficult different things. Yeah. There were difficult things, but and I may have been upset, uh, getting that mm. feeling of "Oh my God, what's going to happen?" for for a moment, you know, mm-hmm. for a half a day, maybe. But then yeah. to look at it like, "All right, what am I going to do about this? How how am I going to move through this?" What are some solutions that I can try? So it was it was just about not having that laser focus on this is the problem and this is everything that there is. Right, and all the thoughts that go along with that, which are uh, which can be, and how long is this going to last? And I can't stand this. And even that statement. We all have, have used that, that that kind of, I can't stand this. That's actually a lie. It's not true. Because at that very moment, you are standing it. Uh-huh. You know, it it's, just, it's what you're really saying is, I'm afraid it's going to get so much worse that I won't, that everything's going to be ruined that, or that it will last forever. Uh, but at that moment, you are standing it. And just recognizing that in itself is, is really huge, that you're actually bigger than what it is that's, uh, that's upsetting you, and that you have a capacity that's larger than than the event that just happened, and that that has to do with being present, because a lot of what upsets us about anything that happens, let's say uh, my knee starts to hurt. Mm-hmm. Oh, I remember that last time my knee hurt, and I was yeah. laid up for six months, or right. or I have a big race this weekend, and what if I can't do it because my knee hurts? So that's you know, bringing the past into it and bringing the future into it and just making the present feel like it's so much worse when it's really not. Yeah. Uh, and but, and it's not that we ignore what the, the, the feedback is that we're, that we're getting. So if your, your leg hurts or you've got a, a, some sort of a pain, you'll take care of it in whatever way that you, that you can. Uh, but what's problematic is when it escalates to, and this must mean that, it might be this way for a long time or forever. I won't be able to compete again. Or, you know, it's, it's all these thoughts that, that become problematic. So they just actually distract you from paying attention to what it is that's actually going on. Okay. So I could go on like this all day, obviously. Uh, but I want to talk to you about the Palouse Mindfulness Program and what you're doing there. And 
So you've been teaching MBSR for hmm, close to 20 years now? I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, started in almost exactly 20 years. So it was about 2003 I began teaching. It's our 20th anniversary. Oh boy. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, so I might be a year off. 2004, 2003 okay. was when I was introduced to it. In 2004, I started teaching. Um, and it began with just the in-person classes that we do here in, in, in my community with 20 people uh, at a time going through the class. Uh, and um, and how, it, uh, how it happened that I made a website was I had one of my students. This is the time when when tablets first started to, to, to come about. And I was handing out uh, CDs with the audio recordings on them. And he says, I can't use this thing. I can't stick it in my my tablet, how can I, how am I going to be able to play this? Can't you put it up on the web? And I already had a website for my counseling practice. So I said, yeah, that'd be pretty straightforward to do. So I did. I put the recordings up on the, on the web so they could be accessible that way. Uh, and I thought, well, since I'm doing that, I might as well put the practice sheets that go along with them that explain the practice and the place to, to write down your uh, experience with them. Uh, and while I'm doing that, I can put up some of the readings I hand out as the, the weeks go along. And before I knew it, I had the makings of an online course. Uh, and I thought, well, all the material is there. It's all I want to make it available to anybody who can find it. So I'll just frame it that way. So here's the materials, here's recordings, here's readings, here's the sequence that we go through. Um, not really expecting many people were going to find it. I, I thought maybe. I mean, this is how I was thinking those days. Maybe a dozen people would find it, but maybe a dozen people that wouldn't have found anything otherwise. And it just exploded. I mean, I did no advertising. I did no SEO kinds of things to make the website appear higher. Um, but uh, just went from thinking it wasn't going to reach anybody to now we have about 4,000 people a day that find the site, some of which are just kind of lurking roaming looking for things and don't stay there but others of which find that's here's a way they can learn meditation without having the expense or the or the logistics of having to find a place that has uh, uh that that has mindfulness training this is before there were really more many online uh, things now since the pandemic everything is online uh, so there are lots of ways they can find uh, materials and mindfulness so it just kind of took a life of its own uh, and that became a focus for me. And even through retirement, my wife says, I've never actually retired. I retired uh, about eight years ago. And she says, well, you haven't actually retired. You have Working not hard retired. Ever worked before. <laughs> but I love what I'm doing. I've always loved what I'm doing. But this is probably more than, than anything else. And then your wife does the whole Palouse Mindfulness program with you and uh, the meetings and the probably lots of other work that uh, is done behind the scenes. She does. She's at the, the meetings and she helps them with the logistics. When we do the Zoom meetings and when we have used to have in-person meetings here, she would be, be here because after it's her, her house, what do we do? Send her out of the house. Um, but interestingly enough, she's not a meditator. She's, she's, that's not her way of practicing. Her way of practicing is she takes, she takes walks. Uh, we've got lots of beautiful trails where we live and that's her meditation. Uh, and um, and so as far as the the behind the scenes stuff, except for the uh, the Zoom sessions and the, when we would have people over the house, uh, that isn't something that, that she would do. I have other people that help me with that. Okay. So you just mentioned people that lurk on the website. In <laughs> um, <laughs> well, you were a, a psychotherapist, so you're familiar with that. Um, you know, there's people who are ready to call you up, but they're not ready to come in and, and do right. the work. And then there's people who make an appointment, but they're not really ready to show up and do the work. Yeah. And then there's people who will come in and do an assessment, maybe one session, and then they're like, no, nah, mm -hmm. I'm not quite sure. So I think those, I feel like those lurking people are very important. They're testing the waters, and every time they approach, they're going to get a little bit closer and maybe... A year from now, they're going, yeah, I'm ready. I know some things about this, and I feel safe here, and I'm going to give it a try. And then I also love that, you know, I will uh, pull readings off the website and just give them to my clients. Yeah. Here's, a, here's something that that is good for you to think about and 
is going to give you a little more insight into what you're dealing with. And no, it's not the whole course and it's not an introduction to the course, but it's testing the waters. Yeah, and I intentionally designed it so that someone would not have to go through the whole course. They would not have to register for something before they could look at the materials. Uh, so they wouldn't have to wait until week five to see what there is about dealing with with, uh, with pain, for instance, if they didn't want to, they could just go directly there. Or if they don't want to, of course, they can just look, and, as, as you say, you can find readings or videos that are there. Uh, and uh, I wanted to be open and accessible. Uh, and I, I just had a, I've got a colleague of mine who runs something called Imagine Mindfulness, which is a, a, a live uh, but online Zoom-based MBSR course. And a lot of my Blues uh, Mindfulness people who've done the, done the course or experienced the course uh, have been in his course. Jerry just told me this just, just a few days ago. He says, you know, some of your people from Blues Mindfulness, they've never finished the course. They say, well, you know, I never really finished the course, but I found it so useful, this part or this part, uh, and, uh, and it's, it's had an impact. And, and now with this live version of the course, uh, maybe I'll, I'll finish the entire course. But people don't, I don't believe that anybody has to do the course or has to finish the course. I want them to, to be able to, uh, to, uh, to take what they want and what they need. And, and I may never have any correspondence with them because they wouldn't have registered or anything or sent me an email, but they found something. But they found something useful in it. Yeah. Okay. Your, your audio is occasionally cutting out a word or two, and I'm not, I, I have no idea how to fix that. <laughs> yeah, maybe on my side, I just it, recently. It, it hasn't been changed. anything critical yeah. so far, so, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to just let it go. Um, so, to, uh, how do people get in touch with Palouse and get involved in the program? I mean, we've we've talked a little bit about uh, just that it's so accessible and so easy and completely stress free. That if you just want to look at it, that's fine. If you want to do the whole thing without telling anybody your name, you can do that. I really enjoy the the monthly meetings where you can mm. where you get to meet people literally from all over the world and talk to them about mindfulness or about what their practice is or what their history is and how they got into it and how they use it and uh, those have been so interesting and and just the connection especially during the pandemic for me that that I'm going to sit there for whatever 15 minutes and talk to a doula from Ireland who uses yeah. mindfulness as part of her practice. And that's something the the uh, uh, Zoom meetings or something that happened just since the pandemic, since I couldn't have the in-person meetings anymore, or meeting in person anymore. Uh, it just opened up a whole, literally the whole world. To, and people who normally couldn't, I, I'd always... People had had said, "Well, you have these in-person meetings, and you're can't you videotape them?" Or, or and I always felt that always felt intrusive. I couldn't see how that could be done well in, in such an interactive thing. But since the pandemic, we found ways to make that work. Um, and the answer to your first question, how they find us, is just do a web search for Palouse Mindfulness. It's a weird spelling: P-A-L-O-U-S-E Mindfulness, uh, or just do a search for MBSR or Mindfulness Online. If you say mindfulness online free, we'll probably come up first or second. We'll be right there. You'll find us. Um, and from there, you can just start with the very first page and we'll take you through the course if you want to do that or uh, you'll have access. If you want to participate in the monthly meeting you're talking about or the weekly meetings we now have, um, you can do that as well. Uh, and then, of course, you need to let us know so we can give you the, uh, the meeting information, the Zoom link. We don't put that on the website anymore because we had a problem with Zoom bombers for a while uh, when we made it. Okay, so I'm uh, my listeners missed that very last part. So um, you do, if you want to be a part of the monthly or weekly meetings, you do need to send some communication to Palouse Mindfulness so that they can send you the link for the Zoom meeting so that it isn't just available to anyone out there because 
oddly, there are what you called Zoom bombers <laughs> that I never heard of. <laughs> yeah, I, know. I would be I so know. freaked out if I was having a Zoom meeting and just random people showed up. <laughs> and and that would we we did have that happen in the beginning. And, it, and our worst offenders was a group of it turns out a group of high school kids from North Carolina who thought it would be just a, a, a hoot to go log into one of these meditation sessions and disrupt it. Ah. Uh, that made it a very unsafe place for for our people who are were uh, joining. We just uh, didn't make the the Zoom link quite so accessible. Uh, and and anybody who wants to be in those meetings can. They would just have to let us know they're starting the course. Uh, and once we get a something from them that indicates to us that they're starting the course, then we send them, send them that information. Okay. And how do you make this happen, Dave, that um, you've been providing uh, a wealth of information and connection and uh, a free course for 20 years and <laughs> that, that you have magic grant money or uh, that well, I'm I'm fortunate in that I'm comfortable in retirement, so I don't have to I don't have to do anything that generates income, uh, and uh, not that expensive to keep it going. It's the it's the, the the space on the server and it's some of the tools that I use, uh, and uh, licenses for for Zoom and other things, um, and uh, and I just if you go on the website, you'll see there's a place where if people want to make a donation, they can, and it gets used to keep the, the course going. I don't take a salary, and none of the people that help with the website or with the course station, uh, it's it's just a, it's a, uh, it, it's really a work of love. You know, it's something I, as an ex-psychotherapist, the one, any psychotherapist is, who's really in it for the right reasons, the greatest pleasure they get is knowing that they've been helpful to somebody. Uh, and and with this website, I'm just I'm so gratified to know that it is helpful to somebody, that, and and I'm able to provide it without asking for anything in return. Okay, one other thing that that you have made this available in other languages. Yeah, that kind of happened on its own in a way. I had uh, people who were Spanish speaking said, "It'd be great if we had some some of this in in Spanish." Uh, and and they said, and I can help. You know, I'm an, I'm bilingual, and my native language is Spanish. I will help you do this. And we had 30 mindfulness graduates uh, who had done the course were native speakers of Spanish, and they just started translating it. Uh, and it took a lot longer than we thought it would take because it's bigger than it looks. It's uh, 140 different uh, documents and and readings and meditations. Uh, and uh, uh, and if you add it all up, it's something like 180,000 words. It's the Yikes. size of a good size of book. Um, so it took us about three years to do that. And once we had Spanish up, next was Russian. And in, in, in each case, it happened with one or two people saying, I want to translate this. It's so important. I want to put it in my language. And I would say, here's here's how you do it. And I'd give them the, uh, the materials and, and work from and and they or we would find other people interested in helping because it's never a one-person job because none of these people are uh, their job in life is and their their uh, livelihood is not translating plus mindfulness materials they have uh, they have a job and a family and uh, and if they were working on it, it'd be nights and weekends so it's it's part-time work for everybody I I just thought that was I really felt the um the love from that because I was in mm. the the monthly meeting where somebody said I speak Russian yeah. <laughs> I I will help you translate this and I'm like oh my god that is so much work that yeah. <laughs> I mean just like if I was going to say I will type up the materials for you that's going to take me months and I'm a decent typist but, yeah. but to say I'm going to translate the entire thing into Russian is it it really pointed out how how important this is to people mm. and that connection that they have. Um, so we are 
uh, nearing the end of our time. And I just wanted to see if there's anything else you wanted to let people know about what you're doing. And and I so eventually want to come and visit in Moscow. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we live in a place where if someone comes to visit, we know it's not because they just were just passing through. They weren't just passing anymore. through, and you can probably see me coming <laughs> from miles away. <laughs> Out of the way to anything. Uh, but be, um, I guess what I would say is, is if you were to find the course uh, and, and want to to uh, pursue the, the course and learn the materials that are there, it would be to take your time. Uh, it's, it's set up as an eight week MBSR course because that's how John Cabot's it as an in-person weekly meeting. Uh, but most people don't do it in eight weeks. It takes longer than eight weeks for most people. And that's not only fine, it's actually better because if someone, uh, someone takes 10 months to go through the course, that means it's 10 months they've been uh, marinating in the, in the material in one way or another. And so it actually is more impactful the longer that they take. Um, and uh, if you wind up starting the course and having to take a break because of vacation or travel or something comes up, you just, uh, when you're ready, come back and, and pick up from where you left off or maybe a little bit before. So that's the one thing I would say is just take your time and, and, uh, and make I when I did it, I planned that from the beginning for some reason, maybe because it was the pandemic. And I I said, okay, I'm gonna take I planned on two weeks for each week. And uh -huh. then and then just, you know, the exact days don't make any difference because exact days right. don't make any difference yeah. <laughs> in pretty much everything. <laughs> yeah, so true. Dave, it has been such a pleasure having you and um and I want to do it again sometime. But uh, I so appreciate you taking the time to come and talk to us. Well, my pleasure. I've enjoyed chatting with you and, and hope it's useful to your listeners. All right. Thanks so much. Okay. My guest today was Dave Potter of Palouse Mindfulness. And hopefully you could tell how excited I was to have him on my show. And I'm going to leave you today with a fun little song by the Presidents of the United States called Little Blue Dune Buggy. A little blind spider took the wheel Navigating grass blades completely by feel Got a sassy chassis, sparkle in the sun All four small bald fat tires Rocking through the sand and burning up Little dune buggy in the sand A little blue dune buggy in my hand Rubber band motor, homing on the beach, ready for fun. Quit spinning that web and come out and play in the sun. Eight thimble size cylinders to be as smooth as you please. The spider's badass fat old abdomen stuck in the bucket seat. Little dune bugger in the sand. Little blue dune bugger in my hand. Squishy transmission was caught in drive Spider-Man squinting at the sand and the sky Spider-Woman in the front seat Screaming go, go, go He's riding the accelerator down to the floor With his fuzzy little toe whoa, whoa, whoa. Little dune bug out in the sand A Little blue dune bug out in my hand Little blue dune buggy, little blue
That was the President of the United States with Little Blue Dune Buggy. Thank you for joining me for Episode 6 of The Present, where everything happens. I'm your host, Lisa Widmark, and I will catch you next time.